we're going to get started tonight. Um, so uh, we are uh, and have been for a long time, as you know, we're in the book of Matthew, so we've been going through that for a very long time now. Um, so if you have your Bibles or your Bible app or something like that, we're going to be in Matthew 10. Um, if you are not a, a Bible person, maybe you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, let me just give you kind of a quick overview of what Matthew is, is Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, okay? And so we have these eyewitness accounts by people who knew Jesus or, or people who interviewed people who knew Jesus, and they put compiled these different books together, and um, they're called the Gospels. And so Matthew is one of those. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're going to give us Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. They're going to give us insight into what that's all about. And, uh, and so far, we've been going through Matthew, and in Matthew 10, it's a really intense chapter. And so if you've been here, you know that it's, a, it's been pretty intense. It's kind of been hard on us for a little bit now. Uh, Matthew 10 is where Jesus tells his disciples, okay, you've been hanging out with me for a while. Uh, you've gotten to know me. You've got to see who I am and what I'm about. And so it's time for you to go out and tell the world about me. And you're supposed to be on mission, okay? And so your life is supposed to be about uh, living for me and then telling other people about me and bringing them into a relationship with me as well. And, uh, and this message for me this week, I have a rooted group, and I think probably some of you guys are in a rooted group right now as well. And um, rooted is really cool. We had this pretty intense meeting this last week, and we started talking about some of the hurts in our life and some of the stuff that we're, uh, we're struggling with. And, and it just became uh, even more real and a reminder that we as Christians are supposed to bring hope and healing to the world. Is when we bring the message of Jesus, not only do we bring salvation, but we bring hope and healing to this present life as well. And so Jesus is commanding his uh, disciples to go out and to share that. And he warns them. He says, there's going to be uh, pushback. There's going to be persecution. When you go out there and you share this message, um, some people will receive it and it will be the greatest blessing that they can ever imagine. However, you will also encounter people who are not going to be excited about this. In fact, um, they may torture and kill you. All right. So good luck. Here we go. No. And so he then gives them like kind of a a few uh, reasons why they should not worry. And we talked about that the last couple weeks. And ultimately he says, listen, um, I am God incarnate, and if I'm on your side, ultimately you have nothing to worry about. So go out there, proclaim this message, even if it means you're going to die, um, go out there and tell people about me. So we're going to jump into Matthew 10.32. That's where we're going to pick up uh, this week. Here we go. Matthew 10.32 says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, this should make sense, okay? Now, you may not buy into the supernatural God and Jesus is the way to know God and things like that, but on relational, as far as relationships go, this should make sense, okay? So think about this in romantic terms, like you and a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or spouse, or something like that, is there are two different types of relationships. There is the, um, the relationship that is public, and so this is usually um, somebody or both parties who are really excited to tell, I'm dating this person. It's like awesome. Um, like if you're like a, a five or a six and you're dating an eight, you're like, oh my gosh, I need, like everybody needs to know about this. I'm going to put this on my Facebook profile, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so you want to tell the world about it. And if you are in love and you have decided this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with, you have what's called a wedding ceremony. And ultimately, the wedding ceremony is just you publicly proclaiming, I am in love with this person, they are in love with me, and we are going to commit to doing life together. And so uh, that's, a, that's a healthy sign of a relationship, is when you want to publicly acknowledge that you, that you are committed to this person. 
Now, there's another type of relationship, and it's more of a private relationship. And if it's a private or secret relationship where you or they don't want to tell others, tell the world that you're in a relationship, it's usually a bad sign, okay? So if they're like, hey, let's just keep this between me and you, um, it may be because you are the five and they are the eight and they don't want people to know about this. Or, um, and they're kind of embarrassed a little bit, like, oh, but they have, like, so nice, you need to get to know them, like, it's about their personality, and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> some of you guys are like, ooh, I think I'm the five. Um, it's fine. Uh, it's character that matters. Anyway, uh, or because um, maybe they're embarrassed of you, or, um, and this is, this is maybe true of some people, is because they are already in another relationship. So they have a public relationship, and you're the secret relationship, or vice versa, or whatever it is. And so um, in kind of our cultural context, I think they refer to this as a side chick. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> I don't know what the, the other version of that is. Is that like a side Guy or something? I don't know. I don't know what they call that. Uh, is that anybody know? No? Okay. Anyway. Uh, a side dude? Is that what he said? A side A side. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Is if we were going to put this into our context, Jesus is pretty much saying, I am not interested in you treating me like your side chick okay, is if you think that you can be in a relationship with me and we'll keep it on the DL and it'll be secret just between me and you, we don't have to tell anybody about this, um, he says he's not interested in being in a relationship with you. It's because he is pretty confident in who he is and the kind of relationship that he deserves. And so if you are not going to publicly proclaim that you're in a relationship with him, he says, let's not even be in a relationship at all. Okay, so it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. And you're going to hear this repeated throughout this, this next uh, scripture. In fact, it says, not only is it good manners that you publicly proclaim you're in a relationship with me, but your eternity is actually writing on this. Because if you, if you are too embarrassed to say that you are in a committed relationship with me, then I am going to be too embarrassed to admit that I'm in a relationship with you on judgment day. He kind of trumps us on that one, right? And so he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to tell the world about me. Not just tell them that you and I are together, but that you um, want the entire world to know how incredible this relationship is. And then he continues on. He says in verse 34, do not suppose, and this is going to, this is going to probably trip you out a little bit at first. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now this kind of challenges our conception of Jesus because if we're like, think of him as this like, like peace loving hippie and like Christmas time, he like, you know, he's the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And then he says later on, oh no, I didn't. I came to bring a sword, not peace. Now what exactly does he mean by this? Now we can right off the bat, we know that he's not talking about violence. So uh, Christianity in its core, it has nothing to do with violence. In fact, it's opposed to physical violence. However, um, the, 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 um, the sword that he is talking about is he's actually talking about being an extremely divisive person. And so he has not come to bring, um, to bring physical uh, uh, unrest, but he's come to bring spiritual unrest into our lives. And so if you think about who Jesus is and you take his claim seriously, he has made, and we've talked about this before, he has made some outrageous claims about himself and about your relationship to him. 
ultimately what Jesus says is, what you believe about me will determine your destiny. Your eternity is riding on your relationship with me. Now, because maybe we grew up in church or we've been around church for a little bit, this doesn't seem like an audacious claim, but just think about this for a moment. He says things like, I'm the giver of eternal life. I can forgive sins. I'm the embodiment of truth. Um, the only way to know God is through me, and ultimately I will judge everybody on the earth. I mean, these are some huge claims. Now, let's take it out of the context of Jesus saying this, and let's say that one of your friends at lunch is saying this, Okay where you're sitting down and you're like, hey, Joe, what's going on? How's life? And he's like, <laughs> listen, one day I will judge the earth. And you're going to go, check, please. <laughs> you know, like, I'm done with this meeting. Um, and, and nobody, no, and if, if they continue to make these claims and they were saying outrageous things like, you know, I was there at the beginning of the earth. Like, I was there, I, was, I created everything. In fact, um, your whole destiny relies on our relationship right now. You would think that this person is a crazy person. Because those types of claims, they make you, um, they're very polarizing. You have to decide something about them. Are they crazy? Are they just lying to me? What is their deal right now? You can't just be neutral. You can't be like, oh, Joe, he's crazy with this whole I am God thing again. Just ignore him. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. No, you can't do that. When you make those kinds of claims, you have to, uh, you have to make a decision about him. And so Jesus really divides the world into two categories. Those who worship and devote their life to him and will ultimately spend eternity with him or those who reject him and he says ultimately will be sent to hell. He doesn't give us like a middle option. He says, you're either for me or you're against me. You cannot be neutral. Then he continues on in verse, uh, continues on verse 35. It says this, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, a man's enemies, not in my family though, not in my family, okay. Um, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now this is some pretty intense stuff that he's saying here. And if we just read it and we just kind of took it for uh, what it seems to be on the surface, some of us will think, you want me to hate my mom and dad? That's crazy. Or some of you guys go, done, like, that's easy. I already did that. I'm not, I don't have to be a Christian to do that. Uh, that's obviously not what he's saying, right? Just, so just like the last verse where we looked at where he talks about not bringing peace but a sword, clearly he's not talking about being, um, us bringing hate into our relationships, and so we have to read a little bit deeper, and because and Jesus is using this word hate in a, uh, in not an active sense, but in more of a passive sense. It's kind of a non-traditional or non-normative way that he's using this word here. And that, that'll become obvious if you, if you start to think about it, because if you think about Jesus' teaching as a whole, he says that he wants us to love our enemies, Right? So if we're supposed to ultimately love our enemies, clearly we're supposed to love our family. That's easy, right? So the challenge is to love our enemies. It's easy to love our family. So what exactly is he saying here? And he's saying that I want you to hate in a comparative sense. So not in an active sense in which I want you to actively go and hate your parents. Like you get home and you're like, ah, I freaking hate you. Jesus loves you, but I hate you. You know, like, no, no, no. It's, it's a comparative sense in that you love Christ so much that comparatively it looks like hate. It's because your, your, your life is so devoted and so much about Christ that when you look at your spouse or your parents or your children, it looks like it is hate comparatively. 
And this actually will begin to make sense. So um, when we begin to love Jesus so much, it not only makes everything else look like a lesser love or even like hate, but ultimately it starts to, um, it starts to grow our capacity for love. And so it's not that, that not, we're going we're gonna to start to love our families less because we love Jesus more. The more that we love Christ, the more that we're able to love the people around us, including our family and our friends. And so uh, a lot of you haven't experienced this, but some of you have is becoming a parent. And um, it's interesting because when you have your first child, your capacity for love just expands. It just is like, I never knew the depths of my heart, you know, like that I could love this deeply. And you think, I, you know, I, I don't even know about having more kids. Like, it just seems crazy to me because I love this one so much. It's crazy to think I could love another one equally as much. And then the next one comes along and you go, eh, no, yeah, I guess I do. You know, but you do, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, my heart just got bigger. Your capacity for love begins to grow. The same thing happens when we start to love Christ is because it is a pure relationship. It's a pure love that we are receiving uh, in return of the love that we are giving. It expands our capacity to be able to love. Because at the heart of being a disciple, which is really what Jesus is trying to tell us to do, is love. Yes, there is going to be submission and there's going to be lifestyle choices and sacrifices and duties and priorities, but the essence of being a disciple has to, at its core, be about love. And this is, this is amen outside. Um, did you hear me? He said, wow. I said, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did say that. What's up then? Um, you guys didn't hear it, but I did, so whatever. Okay. I get distracted easily. So marriage, what is, are we talking about marriage? Are we talking about marriage tonight? I don't remember. No. Oh, yeah, love. Okay. Think about this. Is uh, If you're not married and you maybe, or you are married or you want to be married one day, you will quickly learn that at the core of your marriage should be love, but very close to that core and surrounding it is a bunch of duties that you have to be able to do and sacrifice that you make and, and priorities. And so at the core should be love, but it's surrounded by all of these other things. And that's also true of our relationship with Christ. It's at the core, it should be about love, of receiving his love and in return giving love back to him. But then there's also these duties and there's also these priorities that are going to go along with it. And so Jesus talks about at the core of discipleship is love, but then there's also a standard for discipleship. And I want to give you two words that are kind of, I think, summarize the standard of what it looks like to follow Jesus besides love. One is unconditional. The other is unpredictable. So unconditional, let's start with that one, is um, in our mind, for some reason, we have bought into this concept that there are different levels of being a Christian, Okay, so I've talked to people about this before. It's fantastic. They go, you know, like, I'm not like that kind of Christian. I'm more like a level one Christian, you know, where like I'm into it and like Jesus is great and stuff, but I, like I still get turned up on Fridays, you know, and so like that's still cool. And like he takes care of me like when I need him. And so I'm that type of Christian. And then I have an aunt who's the other type of Christian who she's like, oh my gosh, she's super into it and like her whole life's about it and stuff. That's not really my thing. And so we believe there's like different levels of being a Christian. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, there is not different levels of being a Christian. There is only one type of Christian. You are either in or you are out. You are 100% or you are nothing. He doesn't give us this in-between where we could be like 65% Christian. He says, uh-uh, you're totally in or you're out. 
And when we begin to think about what it looks like to have this unconditional commitment to Christ, um, a few different images come to mind. And I always think about these in kind of earthly terms and earthly relationships, is what does it look like for me to be unconditionally committed to someone? And so if you've seen uh, maybe a good example of parents, parents oftentimes are unconditionally committed to their kids, is they will do anything for them. They will give up anything. They'll give up even their very lives. They will kill for their kids. They will do whatever they have to do in order to take care of their children. We've also seen this in some marriages, is in healthy marriages, there is an incredible commitment in which they are so committed to one another that they would do anything for each other. Now, I got to be honest, those are not the first two things that came to mind when I thought about unconditional commitment. The first thing that came to mind is a show that I watch regularly, and it's called Gangland, okay? And Gangland is a fantastic show. I feel like I am prepared for the streets after I watch Gangland. I know the terminology, I know who to respect, you know, like I, 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 that is a fantastic show. And here is the common thread that I see through all the gangs, because they profile a ton of different gangs, is every single gang member is like, I am down for my hood, I will do anything for them, I will die for them, I will kill for them. And the level of commitment to be in a gang, I'm like, we should have a Christian gang. We'll love people though, you know, like we should, <laughs> Yeah, we'll just go around and like, oh, oh, what's up? You know, like that's, and the, the level of commitment is so strong that they're just like, no matter what, I am in, unconditional, whatever the, whatever the question is, the answer is yes, I will do whatever I need to do. And in a sense, and it's a very twisted and it's a very perverse commitment that they have, but I can respect the, the level of commitment, even if it's committed to something that uh, is wrong. And so the, the standard for discipleship, I think, should be similar to that in that we just go, okay, whatever. Whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I, I say, yes, I'm down, let's do it. I don't, I'm not going to argue. I'm taking my marching orders. The other is unpredictable. Uh, in this society in which uh, Jesus is speaking, family was everything. Is you uh, lived to make your family proud. And the ultimate thing, uh, ultimate failure in life would be to become a disgrace to your family, to make uh, them embarrassed, to disgrace your family name. And so everything was about family. Your whole life revolved around it. And what Jesus does here is he takes what's the societal norms, kind of the goals in life, and he turns them upside down and he says, those things might be good. Remember, God created the family. In fact, he's the one that designs it. He's the one that affirms it. And so he's not saying family is not a good thing. In fact, he's saying it's a great thing. However, we have to keep it in perspective. And so he takes relationships that are key, that are important, that ultimately would define someone's life in that society. And he says... You have to make that uh, a lesser priority than our relationship. And ultimately, he's saying that if you have an ideal in your mind of what life should look like, don't think that you can have this life and then fit me into it because I will not settle. I will not be the second class. I will not be the one that you put into your life plan. And so all of us have this ideal life and it'll probably change over time. But some of you have this ideal life, which is the American dream in which you're gonna get married and you have a couple kids, you're gonna buy a house, you're gonna have a career that you love, all these kinds of great things. Some of you guys, that's like far from your mind. You're thinking, hey, I just wanna travel. I wanna have these experiences. I wanna be able to live in different places. Whatever you your dream is, okay? Whatever this life plan that you think would be great. 
Jesus comes along and he says, don't make your life plan and then take me and try to fit it into your plan. That's not how this works. The way that this works is you have me and then you make your life plan revolving around me. See, those are two vastly different things because when you're thinking of your life and what it may look like, it may have nothing to do with what Jesus has for you. And we have to come with no preconceived ideas of who we should be or what should be. Now, yes, there's going to be indicators and God's going to guide us, but ultimately we have to say, I am going to give up anything in my life if, if it means that I get to follow you. Whatever the preconceived ideas that I have about what my life should look like, I will drop them in a heartbeat to make sure that you are the primary focus of my life. See, we are supposed to come to God with no plans, no schedule, no agenda. We just come and say, God, what would you have for me? And whatever you have for me, the answer will always be yes. Verse 38 says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When I read this verse, um, immediately the millennials, our generation, yes, I am a millennial, uh, we, I feel like this passage is for us, is when I look at our generation, there's a few things, a characteristics that kind of pop out in my mind, is the more conversations with young adults that I have, it seems like I'm having the same conversation over and over again with different people. Because what most of us are saying is, you know, I'm not really sure who I am. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm not exactly sure who I'm supposed to be. And for some reason, we've fallen into this category in which we're not really kids, but we're not adults, we're adults, and we don't really know how to, like, how to start our life because, you know, our parents, they seem to have a little bit more going on at our age, and they're either married or they have kids, they have this career, and so we're trying to like, navigate, and we're just kind of lost, and, and we're not really sure what we're doing. Most of us, we don't, we don't have a great direction of our, our lives, and we really feel lost. We're not sure who we are. And what Jesus says here is he says, if you want to truly find yourself, which is what all of us are asking is, who am I? What am I doing with my life? What am I, where am I supposed to end up? He says, if you want to truly find yourself, then you have to lose yourself for my sake. Is make your life about me. Stop making your life about you. Every morning you get up and you think about me, 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 me. And he goes, stop. Stop thinking about you. If you want to truly find yourself, just abandon your entire life for my sake. Ask every single morning, Lord, what would you have me do today? Who do you want me to become? What is it that you have designed and prepared for me to do? See, this is the paradox of Christianity is it says that freedom comes through submission. That's weird. That is so counterintuitive to what we believe, especially what we are taught within our culture. See, one of the top cultures within, or one of the top values within our culture is freedom. And this can be a good thing and this can be a bad thing and it kind of depends on how you view it and, and how you define it. So freedom ultimately as a value for a country is a great thing. In fact, um, I believe that it is because of the Bible and the Christ, Christian foundation and ethics that we have that this country started with that we can uh, justify freedom for each individual. That is a human right. But what happened along the way as we defined freedom is we went from a place where um, we... We, we are free from oppressive governments and dictators and ruling parties, and, um, and we now have perverted it into personal autonomy. 
And so personal autonomy is the type of freedom that we now advocate is, I am free to do whatever I want, whenever I want. You can't tell me what to do. I have to answer to no one. It's my life. It's my choices. Um, Stay out of it. And this this is a serious perversion of what the freedom that we started out with and biblical freedom is all about. We have come to understand freedom as the ability to live without any restraint or restriction. And this is so a part of our culture, and it so permeates everything that we don't even realize it any longer. In fact, when I said that just now, you thought, well, yeah, duh, right? Of course, that's what we all want, right? Wrong. We have been, we have been fed this from day one to believe that we will find freedom if we have total autonomy to do whatever we please. So my uh, daughter, she's um, four and a half, and um, she has for whatever, three of those years, watched Frozen all the time, right? Um, Frozen is, is big in our house. Uh, we have all the dresses. We, her, I don't, I don't have any of them. Um, I don't make it in my size. Um, but there's, there is a, there's a song in there that you're, you're all familiar with. And I think this is such a great representation of what our culture values. And it's crazy because this is Disney. Like this is what, is, this is what we grew up on. And they are giving us a, a, a cultural uh, values. And we're just taking it in and we're like, yes, yes, tell me more. Here's what she says. It's time to see what I can do to test, I'm not going to sing it, to test the limits and break through. No right no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, right, okay? Now, you could not have come up with a better definition of what culture believes freedom looks like than what, uh, is it Elsa? Elsa sings, I'm trying to remember the music, yep, okay, Elsa, she's saying that, than this right here. It's time for me to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. This is the best part. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. I'll have a nice palace if I want to, right? <laughs> There's something within us, within our culture, that says freedom is all about autonomy, to do what I want to do. Now, it's not just true of what's happening out there. It's true of what happens in here as well. Because we are a product, in part, by the culture that we grew up in and by our sinful nature. And so one of the things that we do, even though we may have given our life over to Christ, is we continue to struggle in this autonomy, in this desire for total autonomy. So let me give you an example. Is, uh, there's a joke around the office. Um, when we start to plan out our series, what we're going to talk about and things like that is, is we try to, like for us it's easy, we're going through Matthew, but sometimes we'll, we'll focus, like I did a couple weeks ago, on specifically one topic, and I talked about money. Here is the interesting thing that may surprise you. Whenever I or another pastor talks about money, you know what happens the week right after we talk about money? The giving goes down. Now, this is fascinating because you would think people would go, oh, you're right, like Jesus commands this, this is good for me, you know, this is great, I should be giving, and so like for the next few few weeks, they'd be like, yes, I'm going to give, but it goes down, and it goes down dramatically, and you know why it goes down? Because when people say, hey, Jesus wants your money, and he wants you to give it freely because he doesn't want it to be an idol in your life, people go, you can't tell me what to do. Well, screw that, I was going to drop a couple bucks in uh, in the bucket, but I'm not doing it now. Because it's my money. 
You can't tell me what to do. If it's my idea, I'll do it. Your idea, not going to do it. And people dig their heels in and say, you can't tell me what to do. And see, this is something that is so natural to us. In fact, the story of Adam and Eve is a rebellion against God. This has happened since day one with humanity is we're saying, God, you're not in control of me. I'm going to be in control of me. And it's something that you don't learn. It's not just a societal thing, although it manifests itself in different ways in each society. It happens with everyone. My kids, on the way uh, to drop them off, on the way here tonight, I dropped them off at my parents' house. And my son, he's two and a half, was losing his mind. Literally, he has anger issues, okay? We're going to do an intervention soon. And so he is just angry. He's throwing things. He's screaming. And why was he screaming? Because he's going to Nana and Papa's house. This is his favorite night of the week. They spoil him. They get him sugar. They give him candy. And then they send him home. And so he loves, he loves going to Nana and Papa's house. So this should be a joyous time in his day, and yet he's angry. Why? Because I told him to put his jacket on. (laughs) How dare you tell me to do something? And then I had the audacity to say that he needed to get in the car, which he did not want to do. And every step along the way, he literally is screaming because I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because I want to do what I want to do. See, it's true of two and a half year olds, it's true of you and I, it's true of everybody in the world, is we naturally want to be in charge. And it's funny when it happens with little kids, it's not so funny when we talk about the spiritual realm, because ultimately people reject Christ because of this issue. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. I don't want a God to tell me what to do. See, if I believe that freedom is going to come through through total autonomy to pursue whatever desires I may have, and I desire to have sex, and I desire to drink and to make money, or I just simply desire to be in control of every aspect of my life, when someone like Jesus comes along and says, you have to give your life totally over to me, we say, no way. There's no way I'm giving up my autonomy, because that's where I believe my freedom really lies. Now, here's what's interesting about this, is we know for a fact, and we can even show this in our lives, is total autonomy does not lead to freedom. It's actually just an illusion. There is no such thing as total freedom. The thing that we pursue, whether consciously or subconsciously, doesn't actually exist out there. It's because you have different desires and they will conflict with each other. And so you're going to ultimately have to pick a desire in which is going to bring you more freedom than the other. Let me give you an example. I have an incredible desire to eat in and out Chick-fil-A and Indian buffet on a regular basis. Okay? Every meal, I would eat it if I could. But then I also have this other desire not to be 300 pounds. And so I have these two conflicting desires. One, to eat all of these delicious foods. The other, to not be 300 pounds. And I have the freedom to pursue both, but I'm not going to have the, that freedom is not going to lead to me actually uh, accomplishing both. And so I have to decide which of the two things that I can pursue, I'm going to have to give up one of my freedoms, either the freedom to eat or the freedom to be fat, okay? And so I'm going to have to give up one of those two freedoms to eventually have a greater freedom, the freedom not to be 300 pounds so far is what I've chosen. We'll see how it goes in the next couple weeks. But that is the, that's, I've given up one freedom in order to pursue another. And so here's the point is you have to say no to some things. You have to give up freedom in order to find better and more profound freedom in other things. 
See, freedom is not just doing whatever you want whenever you want. Freedom is choosing the things that will bring the greatest joy and purpose and meaning and freedom into your life and saying no and giving up freedoms for others. And the sad irony of this is that the the world teaches us that if you go out and do whatever you want, you be whoever you want, you think whatever you want, that's the way that you're ultimately going to find your identity and be free. We see that the people who do these, this pursuit of freedom, end up totally enslaved. And so the irony is the people who desire freedom the most will actually become enslaved in the end. See, I've had some friends, and you probably have too, in which pursued a lifestyle of total freedom and autonomy, in which they went out and they went and indulged in every pleasure that they could imagine, every sex and drugs and alcohol, whatever they wanted to do, they ended up pursuing those things because they thought that would bring freedom. And what happened to them is they either ended up in jail or they ended up dying. And the reason is because this total autonomy does not lead to freedom, but it ends up in enslaving us in addiction and guilt or even kills us. And the same thing is true of all of us. We may not be those types of addicts. We may not be drug or, or, or sex or alcohol. We, not, we may not have those types of addictions, but what's happening there where these addictions are starting to enslave them and eventually consume them is what happens to all of us just at a, a rapid pace. It's like in fast forward. Because we're all addicted to something. If we're not making our lives about Christ, we'll make it about something else. And that something will ultimately enslave us. And so if you are all about money and making money and trying to be somebody and be powerful and successful, you eventually will be enslaved to money. It may not happen as rapidly as drugs does in front of people's eyes where they see it uh, enslaving them, but eventually you'll be, be enslaved to your finances. Relational freedom. You eventually will be enslaved to selfish desires. You will make your life about yourself and eventually you will have no relationships left. Moral freedom. Eventually, you will be enslaved to your passions. And there's even a danger for those of us who call ourselves Christians because we can become enslaved to just doing good works to try to please God, to try to earn some kind of salvation. We eventually become enslaved to being good people because we think God's going to be happy with us. The real freedom that we are looking for is only found in relationships. Eventually, uh, or uh, really just loving relationships. But these are also the most restricting things in the world, is we find freedom in love, in these loving relationships, but we also find incredible restrictions in these. So one of the biggest shockers for me when I got married was uh, how much personal time I no longer had. Um, And this is even more true once you have kids. Like, my schedule, I don't have my own schedule anymore. Amy has a schedule for me. The kids have a schedule for me. I mean, I have to be home at a certain time, 5.30 every single day, and we have a schedule 5.30 to 7.30, and we're getting the kids ready and bathed and all that kind of stuff, and then we have programs that we're going to watch after that, and then we, you know, like we have, I have, my life is so scheduled and so restricted, and I have so little freedom that I have to schedule bathroom breaks at times so that Amy can watch the kids while I'm going whatever, okay? And so... <laughs> My life, I have given up all kinds of freedoms. I've given up most of my freedom to my wife and to my kids. But you know what? That's what it takes to have a great marriage, is when you decide, no, 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 it's about me. It's about my time. It's about my schedule. It's about what I want to do. Your marriage and relationships will fail. The only way that marriage is going to work is if I'm willing to give up a bunch of my freedoms. See, when you say I do, you give up freedoms for sex to other people. 
I am saying right now that I am giving up the freedom to sleep with anybody else except for you. I give up my financial freedoms. That my money is not my money anymore, it's our money now. Her money mostly, but our money. <laughs> I give up my relational freedoms because I say I'm not going to date with anybody else. My whole life, I have given up all these freedoms, but you know what the great thing is? When I give up all these freedoms to make our marriage healthy and great, it's in, the, in, it's in that marriage that I find a greater freedom. There's nothing better than being in an awesome marriage. There's nothing better. There's nothing worse than being in a horrible marriage. And so I will gladly give up all of these freedoms so that I can experience this ultimate freedom of being in a loving relationship for the rest of my life. And so if we are going to find freedom, it's going to be through submission. And we know this to be true in our life. And, and so how much more is it true that if we want to find ultimate freedom, it's by giving of ourselves to our creator. So let's see if we can follow the logic here. Jesus is saying, if it is true that we find freedom not through total autonomy or the pursuit of our desires, but ultimately through the giving of ourselves to those who love us, then it would make the most sense that we would find total freedom in giving ourselves over to the one who loves us most, our creator. And this is how you make sense of the Christian paradox. To find yourself, you must lose yourself. To experience freedom, you must give up your life. But here's the last part that I want to bring this whole thing full circle. At the beginning of the chapter, um, Jesus was ultimately building this whole thing upon a premise that we are supposed to go out. And so it kind of brings it full circle. And here's what I mean by this is Jesus starts out with, your mission is to go and to share the gospel with other people. And then he talks about the challenge that we're going to see him. And then ultimately he says, but you will find total freedom in being in a relationship with me. And so Jesus ultimately frees us from something, the lust and the greed and all the junk that we have in our life. He frees us from that so that we can be free to go do something. And that's what brings it full circle. Romans 6, 18 says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Jesus says, I freed you from this lifestyle, this past, this guilt, this shame, a pursuit of this life that you think that you want. I freed you from all that so that you could pursue righteousness. That means becoming more like Christ and then you could pursue people, loving on people ultimately so that you can win them over to Christ. And so I want to end this chapter before we begin the next week, the new chapter with this is, yes, Christ has told us it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but he promises us freedom in the end. But this freedom is only going to come if we fully give ourselves over to him and he frees us so that we can go and we can bring other people into this freeing relationship as well. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for how good you are to us. Uh, thank you for the freedom that you offer us in a country that is all about freedom. And I am glad and I thank you for that. I believe that is a gift from you. Ultimately, the freedom that we so desire is a freedom that can only be found in a relationship with you. And so, Lord God, we want to, um, we want to accept that freedom we want to no longer be slaves to our desires and to our passions and to our autonomy, but we want to fully submit and give ourselves over to you. 
And Lord God, we want to um, not only receive that, but we want to go out and we want to share that message with other people. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody who just uh, enters into uh, someone's mind right now, a friend or a relative who they need to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ, that we would not be afraid because we know that you are on our side, but that we would be bold in sharing the gospel with other people. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In the name we pray. Amen.